Hello folks, this is Opposing the Matrix doing another late night Opposing the Matrix show. It is the 5th of March 2000 and, or 2020, excuse me. Keep wanting to go for that 2002 thing. I, when I look down at the thing on the, uh, the clock on the phone, uh, the calendar on the phone, and uh, sorry, it's not 2002. <laughs> Sometimes I wish it was, but anyway... Um, Special show tonight. Um, this has a lot to do with Oregon, but you know what? Uh, what's happening here might happen what where you live, and uh, if it stopped here, it might not ever happen where you live. So it's very important that I talk about this, and that perhaps we uh, you come to an understanding what's going on here, and then maybe with that you can uh, learn to fight the. Uh, well, what do they call it? Fight the Bastards? Um, pardon my French, but I couldn't only think of that thing right now. But anyway, it's been a long day, um, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. Although every time I say that, I go for an hour or two. So anyway, um, so what is, what's going on here in Oregon? Okay. We got a governor that's out of control, and basically she's causing a constitutional crisis because she's doing things that she's not allowed to do according to the Constitution of Oregon. Um, where do we start? My goodness, where do we start? Uh, well, it all starts with Al Gore and global warming, of course, and then the UN um, uh, Agenda 2021 and Agenda 2030. I think those are the names of them. And um, according to the UN, there are nations in this world that make more carbon dioxide and release it into the atmosphere and other greenhouse gases, too. And those countries should probably pay more um, towards uh, bringing the world into equality when it comes to creating energy and also um, reducing the uh, fossil fuel manufacture of energy around the world. Um, be real interesting to see how that would work in some of the more distressed areas like uh, parts of South America and Africa and other places where people are very poor. And, uh, and get by on uh, gasoline-powered vehicles and diesel-powered vehicles um, just to make a living. But anyway, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. Well, anyway, it started with that, and then all of, us, all of the uh, liberal states, especially in this, uh, in this um, country, uh, have taken a task uh, of imposing carbon taxes. Uh, California has already done it. That's why you have to pay almost $5 a gallon for gas down in California. And it's nothing more than a tax. Up here it's called cap and trade. Just a fancy name for uh, carbon tax. And I don't know, the trade part might be fill, uh, fitting in there because our governor just returned from China uh, not too long ago, having made a lot of trade deals with them. Makes you wonder where her allegiance is. Well, a lot of us don't wonder anymore. A lot of us know it. Her allegiance is not with the people of Oregon or the people of the United States. Um, she's a she's a communist. She's a Marxist-Leninist and everything else. But uh, maybe I could prove that to you by showing what she's doing. Um, it's a common practice amongst people, especially evil people that are trying to, to do evil things, that when they don't get their way, they... They blame the people that have prevented them from getting their way, and they, they blame innocent people for their own guilt. And that's happened here in Oregon. Um, 
we've had this cap and trade thing come to two legislative sessions and each time the Republicans have bailed. Now, why is that important? Well, there has to be a quorum in the Senate and in the House of Representatives here in Oregon for a bill to proceed. Uh, there are just enough Republicans in the state Senate to make it to where, um, if they leave, there's no quorum. So um, last year, uh, they, this whole cap and trade thing came in. And, I, and let me just explain this history, and then I'll go into what it actually uh, is saying, um, the, the bill that is, or the law they're trying to enact. Um, so what happened was the this, the Republicans realizing that the the uh, legislature ne legislature needed a um, quorum realized if they weren't there the legislature wouldn't have a quorum and the bill would die. So what they did is they all didn't come in. They didn't come into work, and God bless them because they were representative of the people of their county. And once you hear what this thing is, you'll see what I mean. Um, then they were threatened with uh, having the state police come after them to actually arrest them and bring them into the chambers of the legislature so that there would be a quorum. Well, the Republicans aren't as dumb as the Democrats, and the Republicans decided, hey, we're just going to leave the state. So a majority of them, if not all of them, went to or went to Idaho, and uh, the state police, I guess, were going to pursue them there, and the state police in, in Idaho sent a letter to the state police in Oregon saying you do not have authority to cross the state line, and if you do, we're going to have a problem. So the Oregon State Police backed off. Now, the Oregon State Police, uh, boy, I don't want to get in trouble, but I've said it before in the radio, so I'll say it again. Uh, the Oregon State Police are not nice fellows. Um, they're, they're elitist. Uh, do you remember a guy named uh, Lavoy Finnicum? A rancher who um, he and his boys took over the Malhauer uh, reservation. Uh, it's not it's not an Indian reservation. It's just a uh, more of a um, historic place, and uh, they took it over in, in protest and uh, and later left. Uh, well, Lavoy Finnicum was one of the guys that led that that uh, what I call a patriotic um, effort. And uh, one day uh, he fell into a uh, a trap. Uh, he was going to he wanted to go talk to a judge over in Malhauer County. And uh, somehow the police, the Oregon State Police and the FBI had been tipped off about it, and they were waiting for him. And uh, they fired weapons at uh, Lavoy and Lavoy's truck and uh, his son's truck. His his son just kind of gave up right there, but Lavoy took off fearing for his life. He had his wife in the car and a, a young lady and a couple of other people. Um, well, down the road, they had a roadblock set up. They ran him off the road, and um, he uh, got out of the truck, leaving his weapon in the truck, by the way. Uh, there's pictures of it online of it under his seat. Um, he walked down in the snow probably about 20 yards, and um, all of a sudden he reaches down to his left hip with his right hand and then he falls to the ground. That's all you can see. You can't hear anything really. Um, you, you can on some other videos, but you can't see anything. So um, right away, the, oh, he was going for a gun on his left hip. Well, <laughs> I don't know about you, but 
if I shoot right-handed, I have my gun on my right side, and if I shoot left-handed, I have my gun on my left side. It it takes too much action, too much um, too much time to reach across yourself to pull a gun out of the other hip. Well, anyway, he got shot in that hip, and thinking that he was going for a gun, or or knowing that they shot him, and saying that they could say later that he was going for a gun, they shot him dead in the snow. And uh, so the Oregon State Police are not uh, not people you want to mess with. They really aren't. They're uh, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to characterize them all as being bad, but uh, I don't know. They're just a scary bunch of people. That's all I'm going to say. And if they'll obey an order by a governor to go arrest uh, senators, state senators, uh, there's something wrong there, you know. So uh, anyway, let me get back on my little timeline here. Uh, so anyway, the, the session died and so did the bill. And the senators came back and one of them was charged with something. I can't, or he was fined because he left. And encouraged others to leave, so the the Senate fined him, and he had to pay that. But uh, basically, they, that that's all that ever happened. Um, later on, uh, the next session started, and uh, there were a bunch of bills. There was going to be a short session, and there was there was important bills there. Like uh, there was a flood in Eastern Oregon, and one of the bills was uh, financial relief for some of the families. There was another one where. Um, uh, quite a few children were uh, going to be adopted, but money needed to be had um, in order to make the adoptions happen. And there were several other bills, too, that were like that. Things that, you know, impact the, your daily Oregonian uh, every day. And uh, they were pushed aside for this cap and trade thing. They were going to pass this thing, uh, <laughs> whether anybody liked it or not. And uh, so uh, the Republicans bugged out again. Now, if you're Kate Brown, that's our governor, by the way, if you're Kate Brown and, and her cronies in the legislature and you really wanted to help people, you would take care of the, the immediate needs, right, first, wouldn't you? Um, if, if your family is hungry today, you don't go shopping for something that you need, you know, two months later. You go for what you need today. And that, that's common sense, and that's what you and I practice, but evidently these Democrats that want to push agendas, they don't practice such a thing. And, and then, of course, when the Republicans left again, they were made to look like bad guys because they didn't care. Well, those of us who know the truth know better, and more every day more and more Oregonians are starting to realize the truth. Um, so anyway... Um, so today, you know, I was, I was reading on Facebook and uh, and different sources, and of course, uh, let, let me let me back up a little bit. Let me go back into cap and trade. According to the original cap and trade, um, basically, what what they want to do is they want to push electric cars on people, and they want to eventually get people out of the uh, rural areas and into urban areas that way people are easier to control okay it's it's easier to control a bunch of people who have been unarmed in an urban area than it is to um, control people that live in a rural area that are armed to the teeth so even if they move their guns to the the uh, urban area uh, later on, when you go door to door to collect guns uh, you know what are they going to do you can't run I can't run where I live now if I had to, you know, I could, uh, 
I could go uh, three quarters of a mile and I'm in the woods, you know, um, and then there's mountains and valleys and everything else. But in, in the city, you can't do that. You know, you, you could go down streets and alleyways, but sooner or later, they're going to track you down with dogs or with uh, inf- infrared cameras, uh, helicopters. Boy, I lived in Sacramento for a while and uh, for quite a while, and it got so that every night the helicopter was flying over looking for somebody. And I was in Sacramento, not Los Angeles. Um, anyway, um, getting back to cap and trade. So they want to get people to move into the urban areas, and they want to they want to take the farmlands away from the farmers. And boy, isn't that interesting? That's exactly what happened in Russia back in uh, 1917 and on. You know, uh, they removed the farmers from their farms and replaced them with people that didn't know how to farm, and then millions, tens of millions of people starved uh, because the, they killed all the farmers and nobody knew how to farm. Uh, coming to a theater near you real soon, folks, if these people are allowed to do what they're trying to do. Um, okay. So how do you do that? How do you get people to move out of the urban area, out of the rural areas into the urban areas? Well, a lot of us commute. I commute an hour each way to work. Okay. I like to commute. I like to go in in the morning because I can drink coffee and wake up and, and be ready for work. I like to commute on my way home because if I've had a rough day, I like to be able to reflect on what happens. And a lot of times I realize that things that happens weren't were the other person's fault. They were my fault. It gives me time to pray and to reflect on the day and, and to pray for a better tomorrow. Um, so uh, a lot of us like to commute. And of course, that's, that's a little costly. And if the price of gas shoots up 70 cents a gallon like they're planning on doing, that makes commuting very difficult. Makes you want to move closer to work, right? Right. Um, and I don't want to move closer to work. I like living out in the country. I like it out here. I like the fresh air. I like my well. I like the my septic tank that I don't have to, you know, be charged for using a sewer system. I, I, I like being able to go out and see the stars at night, the whole Milky Way. I, I like it when a full moon lights up my yard. Um, I like it when I can see the stars because there's not a lot of lights around here. Um, yeah, there are drawbacks. There's lots of cougars around here. There are some coyotes and stuff, and uh, but things that you find out in the country. And and of course, there's some weird people, but they're everywhere, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so what they were planning on doing is uh, uh, one of the provisions of the bill was, hey, if you had a car that was older than 2006, you had to sell it because it was a gross polluter, and you had to buy a newer car. How many of us can afford that? I know I can't, and I make a pretty good salary, and I can't afford a new car, folks. I just can't do it. My wife works. I work. It's just the way things are. Can't do it. Okay, what about the the truckers? The truckers are going to have to pay 70 cents more a gallon to, to deliver loads. That's not fair, and if your truck is older than 2006, which a lot of them are out there, well, not so much anymore, but some still are. you got to buy a new truck. Well, if you can't do that, you go out of business. If you try to finance it, you got to work more hours in order to be able to do it. Um, and they were even they even had the audacity to, uh, and in Washington State anyway, they're thinking about doing um, taxing you per mile that you drive. Okay. These things are getting out of control out here on the left coast, folks. So California is, you know, it's it's done for. I'm sorry. 
but unless the people rise up and they have some kind of revolution down in California, it's it's just going to be uh, an extension of Mexico here pretty soon. But uh, we don't want that in Oregon, and I know they don't want it in Washington. So, uh, so okay, okay. What about the farmers? Farming's not cheap, folks. It's you know, yes, they have a lot of land, they grow a lot of crops, but they don't make a lot of money on their crops. Okay, sometimes farmers barely make it year by year. A lot of farmers lose the farm because they they can't make it. But um, a farmer that's got a tractor that's older than 2006 is going to have to buy a new tractor. And we're not talking about a $20,000 car or or a $50,000 semi, folks. We're talking, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for a, for a combine. And all the farm equipment is very, very expensive. And I would say of all the farmers around here, if that happened, I, I would say three quarters to to maybe 80 or 85% of them would go out of business, okay? Uh, and where would they move? Because they don't have an income coming in, they're going to move to the cities because they can get some kind of job up by the cities. They might have to work two or three jobs up by the cities, okay? This bill is, is anarchy, and it doesn't make any sense, and why doesn't it make any sense? Okay. Well, let's. I was. I'm going to do a little out of order here. Um, I called up uh, online a list of uh, list of United uh, United States and by states and territories by carbon dioxide emissions. And it's got a nice little map up here. I didn't even see the map. Maybe I could just go by the map. That would be easier. Um, it's funny because there's uh, CO2 emissions per capita per year per state, 2011 data. Okay, this is a little old, but um, if you look at the shading on the states, and I know you can't see, and boy, I wish you could, but uh, two of the states, California and Oregon, and there's New York, uh, Vermont, Massachusetts, that's Connecticut, um, are all very light shaded, and uh, and the shading denotes. Let's see if I can get this to be bigger. There, that works. Um, CO2 emissions per capita per year per state, 2011 data. It's as million as a metric tons, five to ten. California, surprisingly, and we'll discuss that in a minute. And Oregon have some of the lowest emissions. Uh, in millions of metric tons, 5 to 10, okay? Oddly enough, uh, some states like uh, Wyoming, uh, North Dakota, West Virginia uh, have the highest, and then other states like uh, Indiana, uh, Kentucky, uh, Louisiana, you know, it goes down the line, Texas and Florida, and um, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, Arizona, Nebraska, Idaho, and Washington have just a little less than, uh, or a little more the emissions than uh, Oregon and California and the states I mentioned back east. Okay, and the reason for that is that over the years, and if you're if you're my age or maybe 10 years younger than me, I'm 61. So if you're 51 or older, you remember how it used to be. Um, I grew up 
uh, the first 15 years of my life in New Jersey. You get up in the morning, and there's some days you couldn't see New York City, and I only live six, only live six miles away. On a clear day, I could see all the skyscrapers. Uh, when I moved to California, well, that was a different story, but I remember seeing pictures of Los Angeles. Los Angeles isn't as smoggy as it used to be. It's really, really come down in a smog level. Um, things have gotten a lot better in the United States. It all started in 1973 when they started when they changed the gas and they started putting uh, catalytic converters on cars. Uh, before that, uh, they were using lead gasoline, so they were putting lead out into the atmosphere. They were putting a lot more CO2 and everything else. But catalytic converters change all that stuff, and mostly you get, I think, was it nitrogen and water vapor <laughs> coming out of your tailpipe? So. Um, for you young people that think it's bad now, you, I wish, I just wish I could take you back in a time machine 30 or 40 years to see what it used to be like. And you'd go, oh my gosh, things are better. But I can't do that, and you're just going to have to trust my word on that, okay? I don't know if you will, but I hope you do. Um, so anyway, I don't even think I need to, to use numbers here, but, uh, um, Let's see, annual CO2 emissions in 2016, millions of metric tons. Um, actually, Texas was the highest. I think uh, Oregon's down around 37, no, 38. So out of 50 states, we're 12 away from the bottom of, of, gross, um, of gross polluters. The other 37 states are... Um, put out more pollution than we do, okay? Um, percentage of total emissions uh, when it comes to the United States, 0.7%, okay? Not even 1% of all the emissions comes from Oregon, yet our crazy governor is acting like we're one of the worst polluters in the, in the entire universe, or at least in this world. Um, so that kind of gives you a little bit of, in the numbers. And you can look this stuff up online. It's real easy to find. Okay, list of countries. Okay. Um, and we'll look at uh, 2017. Uh, millions of tons car, uh, CO2 per year. And this is an alphabetical list, so it's going to take me a bit here. Uh, but China is one of the grossest polluters that there is. And, you know, if, if we got pollution in this country, could it be coming from China? Yes, it could, because the the uh, jet stream blows from from uh, east, excuse me, from west to east, and everything, well, just like the currents, uh, the, all the Fukushima stuff is coming over into Oregon and California and Washington because the current brings it over. Well, the jet stream is an air current, and it brings stuff like pollution over here. But... Um, Let's look. So they got three different years. They got 1990, 2005, and 2017. And this is in uh, metric tons of CO2. So let's go down to China here. China in uh, the first year. I can't remember when that was. I got to go back up and look again. So 1990, 2005, and 2017. So I'm just going to do one, two, and three, okay, instead of trying to remember those years. Okay, back in the 90s, uh, 2,397,000 or 2,397 metric tons. The next figure, 6,263. 
and of 2017, it's 10,877. So, um, 29% of the world's um, pollution comes from China. Okay. What's another one they talk about a lot? India. Let's look at India. Uh, back in the 90s, 605 metric tons. And then the, the intermediate uh, time span, uh, 1,210 metric tons. And then all the way up to 2,454 metric tons. So um, they're really growing in uh, how they're polluting the world, too. And these are countries that are not going to be penalized uh, by the by the world's cop carbon tax that they're trying to implement and they contribute 6.62% um, of all the world's pollution okay and let's go down to the United States I think you're going to be surprised about something United States back in the 90s 5,085 the intermediate time 5,971 and get this 2017, 5,107. It's actually gone down from, it went up from 1990, it went down, it went way up in 2005 and way down again in 2017. So this country is doing more than it has to do in order to, and it's getting better every year, folks. It really is. It's getting better every year. But for some reason, the United States is demonized like we're, uh, like we're the grossest polluter in the entire world, you know. Um, Vietnam's another one. Used to be 20 metric tons, went up to 99, went up to 218 metric tons. Another gross polluter, and they're only getting worse. I'm trying to think of some other ones that. Uh, well, I don't think I really need to. Um, I'm thinking of developing countries. Uh, I wonder about Korea, South Korea, because they manufacture a lot there in Japan also. But Japan, I think, is pretty. Um, let's see. South Korea went from 270 to 514 to 673. South Africa went 312 to 433 to 467. Looks like they're a developing country. Either that or they have a lot of cows and the cows are farting. Um Anyway, I think I've made my case that the United States and Oregon are not gross polluters. Yet for some reason, <clears throat> the world and our communist leader here in Oregon want to implement taxes on us like we are the grossest of polluters. Um, there would be only two reasons to do that, actually. Since our governor has tried to make trade with China, maybe she's trying to appease China and or she wants the money for other reasons and a carbon tax is the perfect way to get it okay so as i mentioned uh oh let's, let's look at the now i told you the uh, the governor wants to do an executive order right well i i took the liberty today of uh looking up uh bills and laws and i looked up the constitution of oregon Hey, why not? You know, this governor wants to do an executive order. Let's see if she can do it when it comes to taxes. Now, she can do it in states of emergency and stuff like that. And this is not an emergency, even as much as this this world and, and everybody wants to make um, supposed global warming, which I don't believe in. I think it's a bunch of 
a horse hockey. Um, and we can get into that maybe later. But anyway, Section 32 of the Bill of Rights, Article 1 of the Constitution of Oregon says, Uniformity of uh, it's about taxes and duties, uniformity of taxations. It says no tax or duty shall be imposed without the consent of the people that is voting or the representative, if you have honest representatives, in the legislative assembly. And all taxation shall be uniform on the same class of subjects within the territorial limits of the authority levying the tax. Okay, where's the capital of Oregon? It's in Salem. I work in Salem. Nice little town. Uh, I call it a town. It's actually a city, but compared to the places I've lived, it's a town. Um, so Salem is uh, basically is run by Portland and Eugene, uh, all liberal areas. <clears throat> so they're trying to make this tax, or she wants to force this tax, uh, coming from Salem, uh, in regard to um, Eugene and Portland and maybe a couple of other areas that are highly uh, liberal in content um, on all Oregonians, <coughs> Oregonians. Um, the thing is, yes, there there is a lot of traffic in Eugene and there is a lot of traffic in Portland and they probably pollute more than the rest of the state, but they're urban areas. And like I mentioned before, uh, most of Oregon is um, is rural. And most of Oregon is where we grow all the food for Oregon and for a lot of other places, too. And we uh, we export a lot of our food overseas, by the way, too. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so you got two areas that are trying to impose their will, basically. And um, let me read it again. Let me read it again. No tax or duty shall be imposed without the consent of the people or their rep or there's a big word there, or the representatives. Now, it's my understanding that taxes have to be passed by initiative in California, I mean in Oregon. And uh, the reason why they don't want to do that, from what I understand, is 70% of the population is um, is opposed to this tax. And I think there are 23 out of the 38 counties. I think there's 38 counties here. Um, no, I think there's less. Anyway, uh, 28 counties have voted or sent uh, petitions to the state capital that they do not are not in favor of this carbon tax or this cap and trade as they call it. Okay, so again we have some people that are trying to impose the tax that a few people want on everybody, and people that live in different conditions and people that will be affected differently, and that violate section 32 article 1 section 32 of the state's constitution which incidentally is the bill of rights so um I, this is a very long document and i'm not even going to come close to going through the whole thing or even part of it i think i've accomplished my my role here except to say that there is nothing absolutely nothing in this constitution that says that the governor has the right to pass an executive order in order to force a tax on the people. And I think she knows that, and I think that's why she hasn't done it the last couple of times. And if she does, she's going to further increase the constitutional crisis that she's already started. Okay, so we can close that tab, right? Eh, yeah, let's close it for right now. Okay, and I belong to a group called Timber Unity, and we're a group of people, um, truckers, loggers, um, everyday folks, you know, urban people mostly. Some people live in the cities. Um, 
and uh, <clears throat> basically we're against this law or this uh, proposed legislation and proposed force uh, executive order um, and and as I mentioned earlier there there are people out there that will try to do something and when they can't accomplish it they'll blame the they'll blame the victims that they're trying to actually hurt um, and as I mentioned earlier, that there were other bills that were on the docket that could have been taken care of first. This cap and trade thing doesn't need to go right now. You know, it's people that that are living in motels and or, you know, maybe tents in eastern Oregon because they got flooded out of their houses. That That's a more pressing need. And and all those kids that need to get adopted, you know, it, and and have families that want to adopt them, but they just need a little extra money to do it. That's that's a more more pressing need and there are, there are five or six maybe ten other pressing needs that were on the table but were pushed aside for this cap and trade thing so really it's not the republicans fault it's the democrats fault because they control the, the legislature here in oregon simply put you know i mean you know the blame is where the blame is okay now without trying to get nasty we have a uh, a legislator in uh, in Oregon. The last name is Kotek. And I was like, oh, wow, that must have been fun when they were kids. You know, uh, hey, let's go over to Kotex and play. Um, anyway, <clears throat> we'll let that one go. But Kotek, which is a woman that looks like she's trying to be a man, by the way. <clears throat> There's a lot of those here in Oregon. Um, she's complaining the session over because of Republican obstructionism. Now, you see, here we go again. We got something that was the fault of the Democrats or Republicans, excuse me, Democrats or leftists or liberals or whatever you want to call them these days. Communists is a good word, too. Marxist, Leninists, the whole nine yards. They're, they're, they're very skillful at, see, they own the press here in Oregon, like, like liberals own the press all over the country and, and probably all around the world. Um, so their news comes out. Okay, you find very little... Um, chatter, uh, you, you find them very seldomly uh, reporting what the Republicans have to say about things. And thank God for Timber Unity and other places where they they post what the, the letters that the senators send out. And, you know, my hat's off to the Republican senators and representatives who walked out because, you know, they're being blamed for not doing their job, not staying in the, in the, in the legislature and doing their job, but Dang it, they are doing their job because they got out of there. And because of them, the uh, people in rural Oregon are going to be able to thrive instead of live under the oppressive hand of a dictator named Kate Brown and her little cronies that are dressed like women that are dressed like men and men that look like they cower in front of them. Um, so um, Sarkle also, well, the lady that posted it says, so Kate is saying she'll pass cap and trade by executive order. Do we have anyone that can that's ready to file an injunction? God, I hope so. Um, if she's foolish enough to try to do that. Okay. Um, and as I posted or uh, told you earlier that um, that's what she's doing is uh, she's starting a constitutional crisis and uh, she does not have the authority to do an executive order and uh, the Constitution of Oregon is quite clear about that. Okay. All right. Now, here's her pathetic little um, 
her pathetic little release. It says, uh, State of Oregon, Office of the Governor, Kate Brown. And if you didn't know it, and if I haven't said it enough, Kate Brown is the younger sister of Jerry Brown, the schmuck that ruined California. So we got a schmuck in California and a schmuckette up in... Uh, and she probably falls into that category, too, because if you know what that word meant. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, the Browns... We're having a brownout here and uh, on the West Coast. They got rid of Jerry because he can't run anymore, but they got Gavin Newsom, and I got to wonder if he's twice as bad as Jerry Brown ever was. Um, Jerry Brown, you know, for everybody thinks he's an idiot, but to his credit, he's he's quite intelligent because he got actually thrown out of office back in the, what was it, the 80s? Um, they had a recall, and he, he had to leave. So what he did is he waited for a whole generation to pass. Um, so let's see, yeah, it's about 30 years. And then he ran again and got back in because uh, a lot of people that voted for him never knew what he did, or some of the people are probably so high on pot they forgot. Um, anyway, I'm going to read this real quick. Governor Kate Brown's statement on legislative short session adjourning. You got your handkerchiefs out, folks. This is a real tearjerker. I mean, some of you might cry over this. <laughs> ah, just kidding. Salem, Oregon. Beautiful Salem. Governor Kate Brown today issued the following statement after the legislator, legislature adjourned the 2020 short session. Last week, I was saddened but not shocked when Republican lawmakers chose to walk out of their jobs in order to block their remaining colleagues from completing the people's work. See, the people's work. Hmm, where have we heard stuff like that before? Oh, that's right, back in Russia and in China. Okay, uh, when they denied the quorum and shut down government, they did so knowing that full well that they put critical state funding in jeopardy for wildfires, for foster care, for food relief, for Pendleton, which is where the floods were. And let's see another quote. We've seen this tactic before, but this walkout, their fifth in 10 months, it's funny, I can't remember the other three, um, has badly damaged Oregon's legislative branch. Well, good. The vast majority of Republican lawmakers have spent the last 10 days on a taxpayer-funded vacation running down the clock. Now, as they continue to stall on doing their jobs, they say they are willing to come back at the 11th hour for, for votes on the select items they have picked, which were the ones that were important. They just want to get them out of the way. See, they came back. They want to do it. But not Katie. And <laughs> you ever get a chance to look up... Uh, uh, bad, bad Katie Brown. Um, um, it's a song that's uh, kind of sung to the, the tune of uh, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce. But uh, yeah, it's on YouTube. Look it up. It's it's hilarious. Um, okay. She says, that's not how democratic representation works. What does she know about democratic representation? Um Filing executive orders on taxes that people are supposed to vote on? That's not democratic either, Katie. Little Katie. Um, first, it was all about first it was about education funding, then about climate change. Every time they don't like something, they just get up and leave. 
That's not compromise. It's holding Oregonians hostage to ultimatums of political posturing. You mean, Katie, like writing executive orders to make laws? Okay. When lawmakers all clear out of the Capitol and go home to their day jobs, I will be working with our state agencies to continue to support the work Oregonians care about despite lawmakers' failure to properly steward the spent and spend taxpayer dollars. We will focus on bracing ourselves during a global crisis. See, she's calling it a global crisis. 0.7% of all of the United States pollution is not a global crisis, Katie. And if you look at it from worldly terms, it's infinitesimal. Okay, let's see. Brace ourselves there and go global crisis. Ensuring health care for our families and sheltering for our neighbors. Readying ourselves for a tough wildfire season ahead and protecting our lands and children from the impacts of climate change. There we go with the climate change crap again. By the way, there were very few fires in Oregon this year, so it wasn't a crisis this year, Katie. And I use Katie, folks, as a term of not a term of endearment. Um, if she's going to act like a child, I'm going to treat her like one. She continues, I have always been clear that a legislative solution was my preferred path to tackle the fire. Don't, don't, don't. Get ready. She's getting ready. My preferred path to tackle the impacts of climate change for the resources it would bring to our rural communities. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, she makes me laugh. Stupidity makes me laugh. Blatant lies make me laugh. Um, let me start over again. I've always been clear that legislative solution was my preferred path to tackle the impacts of climate change for the resources it would bring to our rural communities and the flexibility it would provide our businesses. You mean like putting them out of business, Katie? However, I will not back down. I will not back down. In the coming days, I will be taking executive action to lower our greenhouse gas emissions. There it is. She said it. Man, I hope there's some Republicans out there in the, in the legislature that are going to file a grievance against this. It's got to be stopped before it happens. Okay, lastly, she says, I am open to calling a special session if we can ensure it will benefit Oregonians. You mean like the ones that were flooded out and the the uh, adoptions, or your climate crap. Um, however, until legislative, legislative leaders bring me a plan for functioning session, I am not going to waste taxpayer dollars on calling them back to the state capitol. Oh, you don't realize how hard it was to read that without driving up to Salem and nailing it to the door of the capitol building with a big BS on it. Okay, so see, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with stupid people that have no business running government. Oh, yeah, I got to tell you what her qualifications for being governor are. Hold on a second. Uh, I went to Wikipedia the other day and I looked at this. Okay, these are her credentials. This is what she went to school for. Okay, she was born in Terrajon de Ordoz, uh, community of Madrid, Spain. I guess her dad 
the the really bad seed Brown. Uh, he was in the military, I think the Air Force. Her father was serving the United States Air Force and grew up in Minnesota. She graduated from Mounds View High School. Hmm, that's interesting because there's a lot of mounds out there these days. In Arden Hills, Minnesota, 1978, she earned a Bachelor's of Art in Environmental Conservation. Oh, she's an environmentalist. With a certificate in Women's Studies from the University of Colorado, Colorado Boulder in 1981. And a JD degree and certificate in Environmental Law from the Northwest School of Law at Lewis and Clark University in 1985. So she didn't go to school for politics. She didn't go to school for anything useful. I mean, you know, well, maybe women's studies. Okay. But I know women that don't understand women. So uh, good luck with that. Um, Bachelor's of Arts in Environmental Conservation. Oh, that's that's really useful. That's, you know, um, where does uh, the... Uh, all the the math for running the state come in there. Uh, I don't see it there. Um, basically, she's a tree hugger that puts spikes in trees. Um, uh, that's what that tells me she is. Anyway, this is the the mentality we're dealing with, and uh, uh, I don't know. I don't want to go into any medical history or anything like that. But the the woman really needs to be on some psychiatric medications. She's a narcissist, probably a I would say a sociopath. I don't think she's killed any or hurt anybody physically, but um, psychopath could be in her future. I think she those things evolve. Um, anyway, so okay, so we looked at her a little bit of a history that she's the sister of Governor Jerry Brown, who ruined California. We looked at what she had to say. All right. Browns is released, U.S. states, nations, we did that. Other rules on docket that were ignored, we did that. Uh, we talked about them. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, it only gets crazier, folks. It really does. It only gets freaking crazier. Pardon my French. Okay, so she's into this cap and trade stuff into the carbon tax and how it's going to affect truckers and farmers. And she wants everybody to drive electric cars, electric trucks. The whole nine yards. Um, but the other day, uh, I've, I've got to find an article about it. I, I, I've got to. Kate Brown and Snake River Dams. All right. Statesman Journal, no, that's a lib paper, that's a lib paper. Oh, they're all liberal here, so I'm going to have to go with it. Oh, how about Oregon's Rural Electric Co-op, Slamgate? Yeah, that's a good one right there. Okay, the science is dictator Kate Brown wants us to carry her um, cap-and-trade tax oversized load, and it's one of those signs that are on the trucks, oversized load, that's hilarious. It says, Oregon's 18 rural electric co-ops say they are blindsided last week by Governor Kate Brown's newly stated position on breaching. Breaching, that's taking them down, folks. Four hydroelectric dams on the Snake River. Yes, we all need electric cars, but take down the dams that are making the electricity. 
The co-op served 500,000 customers, mostly in rural Oregon. Oh, see, it's going to affect rural Oregon. It's not going to affect the libtards up in Portland, Eugene, and Salem. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and uh, rural Oregon and depend on low-cost hydro uh, power from Bonneville Power Administration, which operates the Columbia River and Snake River dams. Um, I guess she wants to remove them because the, <laughs> you ready for this? The salmon can't move up the Snake River like they should. Well, folks, I don't know if you've ever seen a dam on the West Coast. I don't know what they're like on the East Coast because, frankly, I moved away too soon to know. But every dam that I've ever seen on the West Coast that's on a major river that has salmon in it has something called a salmon ladder. And the salmon ladder allows us, and so it's got water running over it, and it allows the salmon to breach the dam. Basically, they, they go up the, the, the salmon ladder, they get into the lake that's created by the dam, and then they swim up that, and then they go to the next one, and the next one. And uh, it's really kind of ingenious how they do it, and the salmon always take advantage of it. But according, I guess, um, I guess Kate Brown um, likes salmon more than she likes human beings, especially rural farmers. See, she doesn't like rural people because rural people are a threat to her. Okay, rural people yeah, are a threat to Kate Brown, so she's she'll do everything to try to put us out of existence. So, anyway, this brings us to, uh, let's see here. No, that's a different, okay. I just happened to be looking around before I decided to start the radio show, and I got to look and see where we are with the radio show to see how we're doing here. Uh, we've been going for almost an hour, 50 minutes. That's okay. That's about what I wanted to do. It's 20 after 12 now, and I don't want to stay up forever. Um, let's see. The American Energy Alliance put out 10 reasons to oppose a carbon tax. Now, I'm going to read this whole darn thing because it's really good. It's not that long. Okay, so bear with me. All right. A carbon tax is a tax on energy. Through uh, July 15th, uh, July 2015, over 80% of domestic energy consumption came from natural gas, oil, and coal. A carbon tax would impose a direct, uh, an indirect tax on these fuels due to their carbon emission, uh, dioxide emissions. Below are 10 reasons carbon taxes should be opposed. Now. The way they're going to work the carbon tax, before I continue with this, is that they're going to put out so many, um, how would I, how would you put this? Um, they're going to put out so many, um, in other words, they're going to print, it would be like deer tags maybe for hunting. They're going to put out so many and uh, you, except with these, you'll be able to trade them and everything else. You can't do that with deer tags, but um so, you know, you'd be able, hey, you know, uh, I only used five of my credits. I've got 15 left. I want to give them to you. Okay. But there's only a certain amount. And after that, if you used up everything, you got to close down your coal plant or whatever it is you're running. Or, um, you know, if you're a farmer and you've used them all up, well, hey, your field is just going to have to dry up and die. Um Okay, a carbon tax would impose... Okay, I read that. 
Okay, number one is it is a tax on transportation fuels like gasoline and most forms of electricity. 67% of our electricity comes from natural gas, coal, and by oil. By design, a carbon tax would make affordable energy more expensive. Americans will see the utility bills increase under a carbon tax. To repeat, this is the purpose of a carbon tax, to make the existing energy infrastructure more expensive, forcing Americans to change how they live and work and where they live and work. They should put in there, too. Number two, it will increase the cost of goods and services. More expensive energy means more expensive goods and services. The costs associated with higher energy prices will be passed on to consumers through more expensive goods across all sectors of the economy. Yeah, the trucker's going to have to spend more money on diesel. And he's only going to have so many carbon credits. So um, he's got to make sure that, uh, well, you know, he's going to have to either increase his loads or whatever. But anyway, it's going to cost him more, the trucker more, the train. Trains are on diesel, folks. They don't run on electricity. Um, and that includes Amtrak. Um, so things, run, things things shipped by train, truck, airplane, you name it, are all going to be more expensive. And don't you pay enough already, don't we? You know, my goodness, you know... <laughs> I was talking to my wife the other day because every once in a while we'll go out to eat, you know, whether it's breakfast, you know, a lot of times we don't eat lunch. We eat, we call it dinner because it's like at three or four in the afternoon. That's our second and last meal of the day. It's, it's more cost effective that way and, and things like that. And we don't eat as much, which is, you know, when you get older, you, you don't want to, and you can anyway, because everything you eat tends to go right onto your body instead of going away. Anyway, um, used to be we could go out to eat breakfast lunch or dinner yeah 15 bucks maybe between two of us and now you can't get out of the restaurant for less than 25 or 30 bucks it's almost doubled you know so then we have to go and we have to eat the senior menu well i don't like the senior menu because i want some food on my plate (laughs) you know and i'm not being a glutton i just i want to eat enough food for calorie intake for me to do stuff during the day, you know? Uh, I'm a bigger guy than most people, and, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm built large. Um, by that, I mean I have broad shoulders, and, you know, there's a lot of me that needs calories, and, and uh, I don't want to settle for less. I want what I have been used to my whole life, okay? And trouble is that we have to pay more for it because things have gone up in price and part of that's because gas prices have gone up over the last few years uh, diesel prices so it costs more to truck you know the whole nine yards the whole things I was, I was explaining okay number three it disproportionately hurts low-income communities and seniors hmm, I'm one of the last ones um, <laughs> it'll quickly becoming one of the first ones too Um, especially if the carbon tax passes. The carbon tax is by nature regressive because it will raise the prices of gasoline, electricity, and other goods by the same dollar amount for all consumers, regardless of their incomes. This disproportionately affects the poor because energy costs are a bigger portion of their overall budget. A carbon tax will therefore hurt low-income families and seniors more than it will hurt middle and upper-class households. 
Well, I think it'll hurt all three, just not as bad for the second two. Okay, and then they have a little graph here. Uh, Pre-income tax, less than $10,000. Uh, percentage of households is 7.1%. Uh, and the last thing, energy percent after tax uh, after tax income 63 anyway I'm not even gonna try to read that because it's confusing and you don't you can't see it so you don't know what I'm talking about so that's not fair to you so uh, all around it does us good not to go into it however if you go to America energy alliance.org you can find it on there um, number four it damages America's economic competitiveness and organs or your state Put your state in there. <clears throat> More expensive energy and uh, goods damage America's economic output and overall competitiveness. It will do particularly damage. It will do particular damage to high-intensity energy energy industries such as manufacturing. Affordable energy prices in America are one of the main competitive edges we have over our international competitors. For example, in the second half of 2014, the average price of electricity for industrial customers in the EU was 12 cents per kilowatt compared to the 7 cents per kilowatt in the, in the U.S. A carbon tax would severely undermine that advantage. It's turning into more and more of a nightmare. We're only up to number four. Um, number five, it may increase air pollution. More expensive energy in America will force companies, particularly those in manufacturing and energy and sensitive in industries, to shift business operations and jobs they support overseas. Oft times, these countries, such as China and India, have weaker e uh, environmental standards, like we talked about earlier, and less efficient methods of production. Less stringent standards of these countries are already causing pollution from China to cross the Pacific. We said that earlier and negatively affect the West Coast. The carbon tax would shift more production to these countries, leading to more air pollution. It's not rocket science, folks. It really isn't. Although, in Salem, I guess they think it is. Um, and Eugene and Portland, of course. I think the collective uh, IQ of Portland is like maybe 98, and Eugene's probably a little lower. Um, Number six, it does not impact climate change. <clears throat> As seen in British Columbia and Australia, carbon taxes do not impact climate change. In British Columbia, a carbon tax was expected to reduce gasoline consumption, but drivers simply went elsewhere to get cheaper gas, like Alberta or Washington State. In Australia, emissions actually increased after the introduction of a carbon tax because of different loopholes and exceptions. Furthermore, even if the U.S. eliminated all carbon dioxide emissions, it would have a negligible effect, impact excuse me, on the world's climate. Thus, according to the EPA's own models, imposing a carbon tax in the U.S. will have next to zero impact on the global climate. They would, however, severely damage the American economy, which is what they are out to do, folks. George Soros and his little band of merry men are out to destroy the United States. Uh, all the elites, all the people that hate Trump are out to destroy the United States. And if you're one of those people that hate Trump, then you're in that league, too. And I don't care what you think about it. It's my radio show. If you don't like it, go make your own. Um, number seven, it's not a market-driven solution. 
Some people claim a carbon tax is a market-driven solution for addressing climate change. The first assumes that the taxes are an integral part of a free market. This is wrong because taxes are political instruments, not market forces. Calling a carbon tax market-driven is like saying we have a more humane way to kill somebody. A carbon tax is fundamentally a government intrusion into the market that necessarily picks winners and losers. Government officials must ultimately set the level of the tax, which shows that which shows that it is a far cry from a market solution. It's a government solution. It's an oligarchy solution. It's a Nancy Pelosi and Kate Brown solution. Both of them together. Ah, never mind. Um, number eight. It's a tool for political for politicians to continue wasteful government spending. As with most taxes, a carbon tax is just another tool by politicians to get more money from people to continue to increase the size and scope of the federal government, put in their state government. Instead of reducing unnecessary or wasteful spending, politicians look to things like a carbon tax to continue the gravy train. One only need to look <clears throat> to the recent budget negotiations to see the proclivity for Congress to raid various accounts for their own prerogatives, like the Social Security account. I put that in there. Uh, there is no reason to believe revenue raised from a carbon tax will be treated differently. Indeed, major green groups are being quite upfront, and they want a carbon tax in order to fund their green energy products, schools, and other pet programs. Makes me think of Ocasio-Cortez and her new green deal. Only going to cost what, what was it, $47 trillion? Folks, do you know how much a trillion dollars is? It's a thousand billion. <laughs> it's uh, 47,000 billion. Um, I, most of us, neither, me too, I can't wrap my head around those numbers. I, I, can, I can do millions and maybe billions, but when you're talking about trillions, it's, it's unfathomable to me. Um, it is not reverend, uh, revenue neutral, number nine. Some claim that a carbon tax would be rev revenue neutral, meaning that revenues from the carbon tax will be used to offset or decrease taxes in another area. <laughs> yeah. i got to remember to talk about the earthquake tax. However, history shows us that this is unlikely to happen. The federal income tax was also intended to be a revenue-neutral tax swap that would only tax the richest Americans while phasing out regressive tariffs, tariffs. Yet, that has been proven not to be true. Additionally, the idea of a carbon tax can offset the federal income tax or payroll taxes is shaky because the taxes are based on separate tracks. Uh, carbon tax, according to its supporters, provides the optimal distinctive for emissions based on models of climate change, while a payroll tax is based on Social Security demographics. Over time, these tracks would diverge and eventually break down so that even if the carbon tax originally were tied to an offsetting cut to other taxes, over time, this connection would be severed. Americans would simply have a new tax on energy on top of other taxes they suffer. And number 10, the American public is opposed to it. When asked, the, when asked, the American people rejected the idea of a carbon tax, with over 60% of people opposing the idea. This idea only has support among people who want to increase the cost of energy, 
and all the libtards in the cities. Um, um, let's see. Yeah, I wanted to talk. Um, back in 1989, I was living in California. We had the Loma Prieta earthquake. You probably remember it. Remember uh, if you, well, if you were alive back then and able to be cognitive about such things. Something called the Nimitz Freeway collapsed. Um, there was a lot of damage from from the Loma Prieta earthquake, and that was in the San Francisco area. But uh, a couple of years later, I think it was 91 or 92, they had a, the Northridge earthquake. And with all the damage that was done in the San Francisco area, there was no tax proposed, none at all. But when there was a ta an earthquake in Northridge, which didn't do half the damage that happened in, in um, Northern California, uh, the taxes in California went up. Uh, we're only supposed to go up for a short time until everything was paid for. Well, folks, I got news for you. When they implement a tax, it never goes away. Never, ever, ever does a tax go away. And if you believe that, then I've got beachfront property in Arizona that I want to sell to you at a very reasonable price. Um, anyway, so uh, I think we've pretty well discussed everything that's, that's going on with uh, Katie Brown and her her uh, commie legislature. Um, she's also talked about uh, uh, when she first got into office, she was talking about taking guns away. And uh, it's funny because that even might have been Hop, um, her, the guy before her that got thrown out of office, another Democrat, lovely Democrat that actually got kicked out of office and that's how Katie got her job. But um Back when, uh, what was it, 2014-15, we were looking for a house to buy and uh, looking at different areas. And um, I remember reading a newspaper article where the, the sheriff of uh, the county that we live in, Lynn County here in Oregon, said that if they ever ordered him to take the guns away, he would disobey the order. Uh, and he would instruct his, his deputies to do the same. Um uh, now, we used to live in Lane County. Lane County is where Eugene is. And, <laughs> boy, if, if you believe in spiritual things and you're sensitive to, to the things of the spirit, the minute you cross into Lane County, boy, do you feel it, let me tell you. And the minute you get into Eugene, it's like there's an oppression that just kind of weighs you down. It's it's terrible. Same thing with well, Portland is, is ridiculous. I, don't, I wouldn't even go there. We won't go there. Um even if we take an airplane, we fly out of Eugene <laughs> and then connect the flight. It costs more, but it's going to Portland is, it would be like uh, Abraham driving his car to Sodom and Gomorrah, you know. Um, anyway, um, where was I going with this? Well, anyway, oh yeah, the gun grabbing. Um, so... We decided to come up to Lynn County, and there's a, there's several towns here. There's Harrisburg, there's Albany, which is the ca uh, the capital of Lynn County. Nice little town. I like Albany. Like Harrisburg too. Weird church down in Harrisburg, though. Very into uh, um, replacement theology and uh, and a few other weird things. But um, anyway. Uh, yeah, and then you have other towns, so it's Sweet Home, Lebanon. Uh, a lot a lot of neat, nice little areas. And, and Well, we were looking around, and we had gone to Brownsville, and we kept driving on the highway, and we came to this little hovel where we are now. And 
Um, actually, what we were doing was looking for a church. And, you know, it's really weird. Um, if you ever find a church that you like, it's usually more than 10 miles from your house. It is that way with me anyway. Um, every time I find a local church, ex except for the one I'm at now, um, I uh, I end up not liking it or they, they get weird. You know, they just they get super weird. So anyway, we were driving around. We found this church and we just, hey, this is a nice church. We went there a couple times. Well, um, we were driving around this little town and town consists of about maybe six streets. And uh, we were driving past this one house and hey it's for sale you know so right around the corner from the church you know you can't get any better than that you can walk to church which is nice actually um and we really enjoyed the church enjoyed the pastor and stuff like that and still do even though it's a new pastor we enjoy him even more <laughs> um but uh so let's look into this you know we found out that we qualified for a, a very good loan I'm not going to go into much about price and stuff like that. It's none of your business, and I don't share things like that. But anyway, um, we got a good deal and, and purchased the home, and uh, and hence we're here. But um, usually when you live in the county, the taxes are lower than when you live in the city. And like I said, uh, being having no sewer, no water, and, uh, you know, that that's, that's a lot cheaper right there. Um, the well is is pure water. It's not uh, fluoridated like a lot of city waters are, and it's it's very very clean water, and um, uh, it's just nice. It really is. And um, to think that there's some lunatic woman up in Salem that wants to take that away from us just bothers me. Now I'm a peaceful man, and I won't do anything violent. Um, I will spur on people to, to protest peacefully. Um, I will write letters to the representatives that are, in my terms, breaking the law, um, showing them that they are doing so. And uh, if anybody gets together petitions, uh, we, uh, we tried to flush Brown down. Um, it was the last summer there was a big campaign to get signatures to uh to get rid of kate brown and uh the uh, when they brought the uh, petitions in um they found some kind of fault in them or something or wouldn't accept them and and uh, so uh that went uh the plan uh, excuse me to flush brown down got flushed itself but um Anyway, uh, it's just, uh, and, and I know in your area, folks, you're probably going through something similar. Everybody seems to be going through something with with their elected officials. Um, um, there are some places where you guys are blessed and, and everything's uh, a utopia for you. And uh, God bless you for that. And I hope it remains that way. But the trend is that... Um, with, with everything good that's happening in this country via President Trump and and others, um, the the ugly head of the liberals is uh, is starting to show itself. It's it's not the um, uh, the beautiful little lamb that uh, you elected. It's it's actually a a hydra. It's a multi-headed snake that's out there. It's very venomous and it's trying to kill you. It's trying to 
take away your livelihood and, and make your life terrible. And it's something that has to be stopped. And um, when I posted the, the thing about the Constitution on, on YouTube, or excuse me, on um, Facebook, I encouraged people to pray. And my wife and I have prayed this several times uh, when things have gotten bad. Not, not that we pray totally against people, but a simple prayer to change the person or get them out of the way to remove them. You know what? Here. Um, I was told for many or for eight years that I had to vote for, uh, I had to pray for President Obama. And I didn't like that. Um, I didn't like that one bit because the guy is like the the uh, the guy that teaches schmucks how to be schmucks. Um, so uh, anyway, I was I was at a real impasse, and I'm like, Lord, this guy is destroying this country. He's against you. He's against the church. He's against everything that's wonderful, everything that's holy, everything that's God breathed or inspired. And this guy's got to go but I don't want to pray, <laughs> you know, I want to pray against them, but I didn't know how to pray. And then, um, a, a Psalm came to me. I was reading it one day and I went, wow, this is perfect. You know, cause, um, let me, let me, uh, kind of lay a framework of when this Psalm was written. Um, it was written by King David, and I do believe it was written when he was being chased by Paul, uh, Paul, Saul, and uh, Saul was trying to hunt him down and kill him, and uh, and David prayed this prayer, and uh, it's recorded in Psalm 109, and uh, this might sound a little extreme to some of you, and, and that's okay if you believe that, but please don't write to me telling me that I'm wrong about this, because if David prayed it, and it's in scripture, I'm going to do it too. Sorry. But I'm an Old Testament believer in the New Testament. so, And I'm a Baptocostal. So, anyway, Psalm 109. And I think we'll end with this. Uh, I think I've said everything else I wanted to say. And, uh, and we'll just go with that, okay? And it's... Oh, excuse me. It's quarter to one and it's getting late. And i got to get to bed. So... Okay, Psalm 109, hold not thy peace, O God, my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me, and they have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have, com they have compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. That sound like politicians to you? Especially Obama. Um. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. That I thought was real interesting about Obama. I prayed that every day. Um, let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow, 
Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of the desolate places. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let the stranger spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in the generation following their name be blotted out. This can't be about Saul, because he loved he loved Jonathan, so that would be about somebody else. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may be cut off, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth, because that because that he remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man, that he might even slay the broken in heart. And he loved, and as he loved cursing, so let it come unto him. As he delighted not in blessings, so let it be far from him. As he clothed himself, as he clothed himself with cursing, like that of a garment, so let it be into his bowels like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be unto him as a garment which covereth him, and for a girdle which wherewith he is girded continually. Let this be the reward of mine adversaries from the Lord, and of the, them that speak evil against my soul. Then he, he changes. But do thou for me, O God, my Lord, but do thou for me, O God, the Lord, for thy name's sake, because thy mercy is good, deliver thou me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like a shadow when it declineth. I am tossed up and down as the locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh faileth of fatness. I become as a reproach unto them. When they look upon me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord, my God, according to thy mercy, that they may know that this is thy hand, that the Lord has done it. Let them curse, but bless thou. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let thy servant rejoice. Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own confusion, as with a mantle. <clears throat> I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise him among the multitudes, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor, to save him from those that condemn his soul. Wow. So all of these bad things that they're doing to us, the Lord sees it. And all these bad things that can happen to a person that does evil against good people will happen to them. So when they asked me to pray for Obama, that's what I prayed. And I prayed kind of the same for Kate Brown. It's it's kind of weird uh, the the parallels that Kate and Obama have. Kate doesn't have any children of her own. She has stepchildren, but never gave birth to children. So um, I understand from some that that affects women in a negative manner. Um, if you know, I'm not a woman, so I don't know. But um, uh, Obama's children aren't his. That's that's pretty well been proven. They they belong to another family and were basically rented out to the Obamas so the Obamas could show that they were a family. Um, which is kind of hard when um, Michelle is really Michael and can't have children. So 
Um, they lie, both of them lie profusely. Both of them cast dispersion on, on people that uh, are really innocent victims. Um, the list goes on and on. Uh, the typical uh, list of uh, uh, liberal uh, lies and deceit. So anyway, um, like I said, I was going to close out with that, and I am. Uh, I'm going to close my browser just to make sure that I do. Close all tabs. Yes. And I am going to bid you a fair adieu. I just wanted to let you know what's happening here in Oregon, and it can happen in your state too. So be praying for us. Okay, please be praying for the people of Oregon because and Washington. Let's throw Washington in there. And you can pray for California if you want. I mean, that would be a real miracle. But um, we're, we've got some really tough times coming ahead here. And, and we could sure use a lot of prayer. And uh, if you've got any ideas of how we can get out of this mess, that would be nice, too. If you're a constitutional lawyer, especially, and you know the Oregon Constitution, maybe you can step in and and um, file an injunction against this crazy madwoman that we have up there. Um, we just we just need some help, folks. Timber Unity needs your help. I need your help. Uh, the state of Oregon, the good people of Oregon, need your help. There there are a lot of schmucks up in the cities, but uh, there there are a lot of nice people out in the country. People that are hard workers. People that. Um, <clears throat> want a day's work for a day's wage. Um, people that will will do you a favor and expect nothing in return. Uh, people that will come out and work on your house for nothing just because you're the neighbor. And um, things like that should be rewarded <clears throat> with good things in return. So um, please just pray that uh, the Lord just gets us out of this mess. Uh, replaces our governor with somebody that's sane, um, preferably a, a conservative, and uh, that the Lord just separates the wheat from the uh, tares, the wheat from the tares, I got it, <laughs> I almost forgot the word, and that um, the wolves are, are, are taken out of the sheep fold and and uh, that uh, you, that the Lord brings some kind of sanity back to Oregon. There's a lot of liberals from California here and from other states that have uh, really uh, brought the virus of liberalism into Oregon, and it's it's starting to manifest now. So we need a a, a good uh, God vaccine to uh, to help us to either change the liberals or or move them out of the state in one way or another. So. Anyway, uh, going on one hour and 23 minutes, uh, I will say adios to you. I will um, pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, that make his face shine under you and be gracious to you, that the Lord will give you peace, that he'll um, reveal himself more and more to you, not just by the day, but by the hour and by the minute, and that you will just know him um in ways that you've never known him before because he wants a personal relationship with you and he wants to be part of your life and to help you in this life so that you can attain eternal life. So um, come back on Monday when we have our show. And um, oh, and in regards to the, the show that Ralph and I do together, um, 
on Mondays. They've changed my work schedule, so we'll probably be doing that on Sundays. But uh, uh, we'll let you know ahead of time. <laughs> Got three days. We'll let you know ahead of time. Anyway, um, so you all be blessed and, and have a good week and a good weekend, okay? And uh, we'll see you when we see you. I pray peace on you in Yeshua's holy name. Amen and amen.